Let's again join together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, we come to you. We need to hear from you. We need your work to be done deep within us, that our hearts would be changed, that our lives would be sanctified, that your name would be glorified. May your word live to us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the very beginning of John's Gospel account, we find this declaration being made by John the baptizer in, in John chapter 1. The religious authorities came to him and they were anxious to know exactly who he was and what he was about. So he said to them, John 1, 26, 27, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Then again in verses 33, 34 of chapter 1, he said, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So like a a classical orchestral composer, John, the gospel writer, has been unveiling, as we have made our way along, his great central themes to his gospel message. And one of those is that Jesus is the spirit giver. He is the one who baptizes with a superior baptism. Not with water, but with fire from heaven, the Holy Spirit. And now, as John continues to share with us uh, the work and witness of Jesus, he, he brings that theme centrally to our attention. That melody now dominates the score. Jesus excites his disciples and us with the wonders of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 200 years ago, John Keeble wrote a very lengthy poem which begins with these words. My Savior, can it ever be that I should gain by losing thee? Jesus has made it clear. He is going away. He is leaving his disciples. And they are facing bewilderment and fearing abandonment. They're losing Jesus. But he seeks to comfort them. And to help them as he declares in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So contrary to what they're imagining, Jesus says, it's for your good that I'm going away. Good that I'm leaving them. Because when Jesus goes, another just like him will come in his place. Who is coming? Well, his title is variously translated. The Comforter, the Counselor, the Advocate. And later in this passage, Jesus explains more clearly of whom he speaks. Verse 13. 
said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus is going to send to his disciples the Holy Spirit and his his remit is very wide. We know Paul writes to the Galatians, Galatians 5, saying that the presence of the Spirit dispenses fruits, love, joy, peace, patience. We looked a couple of weeks ago at, at 1 Corinthians 11 where we read that the presence of the Spirit empowers with gifts to build up the church. But this morning I want to focus on Three aspects of the Spirit's ministry as Jesus outlines for us in this text. Verse 8 is a a very simple summary verse. It's, It's very convenient for us and it will be our guide. For Jesus said, and when he comes, he will convict, he will expose, reprove, convince the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin righteousness, and judgment. Perhaps this happens in your house. It certainly happens in ours on occasions. And even if it doesn't, you can imagine it. But uh, people come in uh, and into the kitchen. They've been away and they walk into the kitchen and there's pots steaming on the hob. And the first thing they do is go over and lift the pot. Just lid of the pot to see what's cooking. Does that ever happen in your house? What's on the stove? What's being cooked up for tea? Is it a stew? Is it soup? Is it pot roast? Is it bolognese sauce? What's cooking? Lift the lid and see. And all you people, all you leaders saying, we've got fancy pots. We have lovely glass lids. We don't have to lift the lid. We know. But we lift the lid to see what's happening inside. And in a sense, that's a picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He comes and he works in the hearts of men and women to show us what's going on in us. And he explains to the disciples, he comes to lift the lid concerning sin. Concerning sin, the Spirit comes and exposes to us the reality of sin in our heart. People refuse to believe in him. Verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. I wonder, have you ever thought to yourself, if only we could go back to the Garden of Eden. If only we could go back to Adam and Eve's day. Life was so much simpler then. They only had one commandment to obey. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. That was it. Don't eat the fruit and everything else would go perfectly well. How simple life would be if there was only one commandment to be obeyed. We have ten commandments. And we have multiple applications of those ten commandments. And we might think, oh, to be back under the one rule of Eden. I wonder, has that ever crossed your mind? But the truth is that there is only one sin that sends a person to hell. Only one failure that causes a person to be eternally separated from God. That is not believing in Jesus. And on the day of judgment, 
When everyone will stand before God's great judgment throne. The difference between the sheep on the right side and the goats on the left, between believers and unbelievers, is not all the various sins that we may have committed in life. But in our response to the unmasking of those sins, to the verdict upon them. We who are the redeemed know that we are guilty in Adam. But we are forgiven in the second Adam. Now, preachers have a a gift for making the very simple sound incredibly confusing. You know, at times I, I confuse myself. But you remember, most of you are very familiar with Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail and the earthquake in the night and the, the gates fly open and the jailer rushes in and he asks that, that central question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And most of you know the answer off by heart. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31 Believe. And the most important role of the Holy Spirit is to come into hearts and lives and to awaken us to an awareness of sin and its reality. We need to know our sin and its condemning power so that we would understand our need of a Savior. And the greatest sin and the only sin that matters in eternity. Now many sins matter in time temporarily. But only one matters eternally. And that is failure to believe in Jesus. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, John 3.18. Saying, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So 2,000 years ago, on that fateful day when Jesus went to the cross, the crowds in Jerusalem did not accept Jesus as their Messiah. They would not receive him as their Savior. They did not believe in him and thus they placed themselves under condemnation. They, they wouldn't put their trust in him. They, they were given the choice, and their choice was Barabbas, the murderer. And Jesus is executed on the cross. And seven weeks later, at Pentecost, the Spirit of God falls upon the disciples, drives them out into the streets, puts a message on their lips, and Peter, Peter preaches tells the story and unmasks the truth of what they have done. Acts 2.37-38 picks up the story there. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Conviction of sin. The sin of unbelief swept through the city of Jerusalem. And individuals repented of their sin. They turned to Jesus and they gained salvation. This was a mighty work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. He lifted the lid off their sin. And this morning we come to the table and we read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 
And he says, examine yourself. Examine yourself before you eat the bread and drink the cup. And what do we find when we examine ourselves, when we lift the lid on our lives? It must be that we see that we are sinful people, desperate sinners who who are so entrenched in their sin that we needed the sinless Son of God to leave heaven's glory, to come into this world, to go to the cross, that we might have any hope. Any hope of standing before a thoroughly holy God. We, we hear that little cliche being used. Damning evidence. The undeniable proof that brings condemnation. And the coming of the Holy Spirit into this world brings to us damning evidence. He convicts. He exposes. He lifts the lid on the desperate reality of the human heart. What a gift. What a blessing. This conviction that brings men and women, boys and girls to the foot of the cross. And and, and do note, it's not some vague awareness of of sin. Of a, a general malaise of the human heart. No, it's powerful. It's precise. It hits the nail on the head. Remember, Isaiah is confronted by the awesome holiness of God in Isaiah chapter 6. He comes under conviction of his sinfulness. And and he says, in part, he says, Woe to me, for I have sinned. But that's not where that verse ends. You know what happens next? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. In the presence of the holiness of God, he became acutely aware of the the central area of sin in his life. It was his lips. And so the angel is dispatched to bring the uh, blood-stained coals from off the altar to touch his lips that the sin of his lips would be cleansed. Specific sin met with that cleansing touch. Oswald Chambers wrote, Conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. So if God is convicting you, if God has convicted you of your sin, praise him, thank him. Such a precious gift has been given to you. He's pointing you to where you need the precious cleansing blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. He's awakening you to the the depth of your need. Do not miss out on the opportunity that such conviction provides. Concerning sin. Secondly, concerning righteousness. Verse 10 seems a little bit strange. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us regarding righteousness. Many years ago, a professional golfer was invited to play in a, in a four ball with uh, President Gerald Ford and with Jack Nicholas and with Billy Graham. And after the round was over, one of his uh, fellow professionals said to him, Well, hey, what was it like playing golf with the President and, and, and Billy Graham? And the man was obviously furious and, uh, uh, and he looked at him with disgust and said, I don't need Billy Graham shoving religion down my throat. And with that he went off to the practice tee and 
His friend followed him, and after he had sort of pounded out his frustration on a, on a, on a bucket of balls, he, the other golfer said to him, he said, well, was Billy a bit hard on you there? And the golfer sighed and said with embarrassment, no, he didn't even mention religion. And Billy Graham had said nothing about God or Jesus or faith or sin, but the golfer stormed away, feeling accused by Billy Graham because of the man's righteousness. Because when God is present in the life of his child by his Holy Spirit, uh, that is enough to challenge the self-righteousness of this world. Leading inevitably to opposition from this world, as we mentioned last Sunday morning. In his book, uh, The Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul writes, People have an appreciation for moral excellence as long as it is removed a safe distance from them. You know, when we start to lift the lid off, there's a, a double danger for us. The world calls you to this idea of finding yourself. Have you heard that? Idea? You know, you've got to find yourself. You've got to look inside and find the real me. Folk like Deepak Chopra and other secular coaches will encourage you to look within and, and, and this will bring you to what they call a rewarding change in your heart. But the problem is that when you look inside your heart, your, 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 your sight is blurred, marred. For when you look inside your heart on your own, you end up in one of two very bad places. You end up in self-condemnation or self-commendation. Self-condemnation, self-commendation. For if you look inside yourself and you see uh, that there's a terrible mess, just things are wrong, you become self-condemned, you realize that you're hopeless and you're helpless, you have nothing with which to remedy this situation. You're driven to utter despair. Or if you look inside and you come to the Jack Horner conclusion that really I'm a little good boy or good girl. You're also misleading yourself because you're not good. So Jesus says, he says, I'm going to the Father. And you need to understand the, the implications of that journey. That journey will take me to the cross. And to the grave. And there I, as the righteous one, will bear your sin upon myself. Those beautiful words with which we began our time together. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him who knew no sin. uh, He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. Our terrible imperfection exchange for his absolute perfection. And when the Spirit comes to reveal to us issues of righteousness, he brings this great light of his truth and all our, our, our flimsy self-righteousness is cast aside. And the true righteousness of Christ is revealed and gifted to us. The prophet Jeremiah looked far into the future. Inspired by the Spirit, he could write Jeremiah 23, 6. That in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. 
And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Through much of his ministry, Jesus went around confronting the Pharisees, the religious leaders, challenging their self-righteousness, revealing to them the truth of their hearts. They were so messed up, but yet they remained proud, they remained pompous, and consequently they remained far from God. Their their very best, their man-made righteousness was only a filthy rag in God's sight. All for sin could not atone. He must save. He alone. So Jesus is going to his father. He's going to lay down his life for us on the cross. And through the resurrection we discover that what we need to be paid on behalf of our sin is fully, finally and forever accepted by God. So that now those who believe in Jesus, those who trust in Jesus, are are made righteous through his blood. Romans 5 verse 9. Concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. Verse 11. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? Well, for this time it is Satan. And as Jesus died on the cross... The verdict was coming down against him. Knowing the imminence of his death, Jesus said already, we've looked at it, John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Hopefully as reasonable people, it would never be your desire that you'd want to see anybody suffer punishment for all eternity in hell. But we understand that this is the devil's destiny. That God's just judgment falls upon him. And and, and hell, as it were, is a, a maximum security prison set aside only for one type of being, for the devil and his angels. It's only designed for them. Sadly, we know from Scripture that they will not be alone. Let me use a word picture as we draw to a close. This week when the largest ever uh, cruise liner has docked in Belfast. Imagine that all of humanity is on the cruise of a lifetime. But the devil is the ship's captain. He determines the cruise destiny. And that is hell. With the victory of Jesus on the cross over sin. The devil loses his power to constrain people to keep them on board. Jesus came to to bind the strong man. And and where once we might have been locked in cabins on this cruise ship to hell. We are now free. Free to make a choice. No longer secure. And Jesus brings the rescue vessel of the cross alongside. And invites people to come and and, and to jump ship, to come aboard with him on a journey that takes you to heaven. But, But so many people, for so many reasons, are blinded to this. And they are content with their destiny, their devilish destiny. They are staying where they are. They are enjoying their current circumstances, unaware of the catastrophic outcome of their choice. 
They, they imagine that actually they're in control. They're selecting where they're going. They will choose where this vessel will finally come to rest. Because they remain blinded and trapped in their own sin. And the work of the Spirit comes to lift the lid. To reveal to us what eternally matters. Now, do you, do I, believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Do you, do I know that there is no righteousness that we can claim except the righteousness that Jesus gifts to us? Do you, do I know that the devil will be judged? And all who fail to trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation will be judged along with him? Has the Spirit of God come into your life and made this known to you? Many years ago, that godly minister in Dundee, Robert Murray McShane, said of this text, he wrote, this shows you plainly that the second work of the faithful minister is to do the very same, to lead weary souls to Christ, to stand pointing not only to the coming deluge, but to the freely offered ark, Pointing not only to the threatening storm, but to the strong tower of safety. Directing the sinner's eye not only inwards to his sin and misery, but outwards also to the bleeding, dying, rising, reigning Savior. You see, you can be told time and time and time again that you're a sinner. But until you see it, you'll not get it. You need to see it. And you can be told time and time and time again that God loves you. But until you see it, you'll not get it. So that's why we come today to this table. To share in this bread and this wine. The symbols of Christ's dying love to sinners. So may the Spirit of God work within us that we would see our sin in all its horror. That we would see the Savior in all his beauty. And that we would claim his righteousness in all its grace. Let's pray together.